Uh, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you um, for all that you do for us, um, for bringing us here tonight safely to worship you, to study your word. Um, pray that you'll be with the time we have together. Pray that uh, you'll be with the different requests, prayer requests that were mentioned. Pray for Melita as she um, has the appointment this week that all that will go well, Lord, that um, your will will be done in that situation. I pray for um, <clears throat> Bill's nephew, that you will heal him, Lord, um, quickly, and that um, the answers will be given in that situation according to your will as well, Lord. For we know that, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love you, Lord. Whether it's good, whether it's seemingly bad, um, from our vantage point, we know that it works out for our good, Lord, because you are good and you have our best in mind, Lord. So I pray that you'll just uh, be with us all tonight, give us understanding, um, and give me clarity as we seek to learn more about you and the resurrection that your son, Jesus Christ, has <clears throat> accomplished for us. And in his name we pray, amen. So tonight, <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit about resurrection, okay? Um, we actually sung a little bit about it, right, just now. Um, Jesus paid a debt. He raised our life up from the grave, right, or from the dead, all right? That's resurrection, okay? So last year, <clears throat> I was in a class that... Uh, was on the book of John. It was on the gospel of John, or according to John. And part of the required coursework was to uh, write a critical review of A.W. Tozer's book, And He Dwelled Among Us. Um, really good book. I suggest anybody who is looking for something to read, it's a good one. It's encouraging. Um, you know, obviously it talks about Jesus Christ dwelling with us. All right. And he dwelt among us, right? But the other part of the coursework was write a research paper on some theological aspect in the Gospel of John. I didn't like the choices they gave, so they're like, you can also write an exegetical paper on any passage you choose. Well, I should have gone with the theological paper. That would have been easier, I think. But um, I chose John 5 verses 24 through 29, because they looked interesting. I was like, this is an interesting passage, and that's what I want to write on. Um, <clears throat> so that's what I chose to do. And what that passage speaks of is eternal life. Jesus is promising eternal life, but he also speaks of resurrection. He speaks of the resurrection of those to life, resurrection of those to death. All right. But before we get into that, if you guys don't mind, we're actually going to read a passage from Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> How many of you, are before you get there, are familiar with this passage already? Anyone? No? Some of you have to be. I know you are. Once we start reading it, you'll recognize what we're what we're talking about. So, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit 
and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Now here's the main portion of this text I want us to keep in focus. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, this passage is dealing with the so-called millennium. All right, so I don't know how many in here have done studies on the millennium or have particular views of the millennium, but uh, I will say this up front. I come from a position that does not view this millennium as a literal 1,000 years. The millennium, thus, is the time from Christ's first advent to a second advent. So, the time being described here, then, from this vantage point is basically the whole time of the church, okay? So, when we see that something's being said of a resurrection, what's, what's being talked about? That's kind of where I want to go with this is what, what does it mean when this is, it's saying this is the first resurrection, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. So any thoughts on that? Like what do you guys think is the first resurrection? And I welcome feedback on any time. What's the first resurrection? Any thoughts? I mean, I'll answer it. So let's go to John 5. John 5, verses 24 through 29. <clears throat> now, here we're dealing with the authority of Jesus. The, the leaders are questioning you know, who is this guy who keeps equating himself with God? Who does he think he is? The Jews were seeking to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath and he was calling God his father, okay? That's some of the context of what's going on here. All right, and then, he, and then Jesus starts speaking of basically being equal with the father again, all right? So verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That, to me, that's key. Has eternal life. Not will have in the future has eternal life. All right? He does not come into judgment, all right, but has passed from death to life. That's what, what we're just saying in the song. We've passed from death to life. Because Why? Because Jesus 
because of Jesus and his resurrection. All right. But um, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So question, how many resurrections are in view in John 5 in this passage? I count, I count three, but two different types. All right. So one is the first one we, we mentioned. There's a, there's a resur- resurrection that happens that, that says, he who hears the word and believes has eternal life. It's a spiritual resurrection. It's another term for that that we use would be regeneration, being born again, being made alive, right? Um, so another way we can say it is a resurrection. Uh, but then the, the second type, which consists of two groups being resurrected, is the last part of the passage. It says, um, don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's the physical resurrection at the last day when Jesus Christ comes at his second coming. So at that time, the dead in Christ will rise to life and the dead who have died in unbelief will rise to everlasting judgment. So, What I, another, um, another thing I find interesting in this passage in John is the use of, of our by Jesus. If you look again at verse 25, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. But then he says, and is now here. Uh, which is it? Is the hour coming or is it now here? can seem kind of confusing, but the answer is <clears throat> the hour is here and it's coming. I mean, Jesus said it. It's got to be true, right? So what's he talking about? Uh, for that, I think it might be helpful, helpful for us to turn to Daniel 12. Um, you don't have to turn there, but I can, I can turn there and tell you what it says. Um, 12.1 says, at that time, okay, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. Sounds like tribulation to me. Such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
It's resurrection right there. The, the dead, um, many of those who sleep, that's people who are dead, people who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So I think <clears throat> what we see here is Jesus is saying, look, that, that time in Daniel is now being fulfilled in me. Uh, not me personally, but Jesus, right? So, so Jesus is saying, look, the time is here. The time is now. And the time is coming um, as well. This is a good example of an already not yet view of, of God's kingdom where we see things being inaugurated. We can see the beginning workings of Christ's kingdom at, at hand, but we also know that there will come a day at his second coming when he will consummate and bring to full realization that kingdom. All right. <clears throat> so I think that's what we have happening here in, in John 5. Um, so the time of deliverance has come for God's people, thus the hour, or the time in Daniel, uses the word time, of this is being fulfilled in Jesus' work. Um, <clears throat> so the hour of fulfillment of the promised time of tribulation, deliverance, and resurrection is now at hand in Jesus. <clears throat> um, and we've already mentioned a little bit about how we say that this resurrection has already taken place because verse 24 clearly states that it's those who hear and those who believe that are already experiencing or have experienced this resurrection. All right. <clears throat> if y'all don't mind, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 6, 4 through 13. We'll read another passage dealing with death, resurrection, life. Um, and this... The reason I'm reading this passage is just to show that there's an interchange of terms that can be used. Something, you know, we could be talking about death, life, and then we can change using the word life, and we can just substitute resurrection in there. Um, so chapter 6 of Romans, verses 4 through 13 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, for we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to death, to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, <clears throat> I'll read the last one. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the practical outworking of Jesus Christ saving us. Jesus Christ doing the work for us. If we're in Christ, then we have the benefits of what Christ has accomplished for us. Christ has died the death that we should have died. He lived the life we should have lived. All right? But he also, in dying, rose again. So now that it, if we're in Christ, we have that certainty. That's the word Paul uses. I'm not there, but it's... Uh, <clears throat> go back. It says in verse 6, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall what? Certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, again, going back to what Jesus is saying in, in chapter 5 of John, he's saying, if, you're, if you believe in me, you hear my words, you believe in me, then you abide in me. All right, that goes on later on <clears throat> in chapter 5, talking about the word abiding in people um, and how the Pharisees and the leaders really didn't have the word of God abiding in them, which was evident by their actions. All right. <clears throat> and what Jesus is saying is, if you abide in me, you will do the things that I'm teaching you, the things that Moses taught you, you know, all the things that Scripture teaches um, and shows us. <clears throat> but he also says, if you abide in me, you will share in a resurrection, resurrection just as I have resurrected. So <clears throat> I want that to be an encouragement to us. Um, but we're going to read some more. We're going to read some more scripture passages. There's nothing wrong with that, right? You don't mind, do you? <clears throat> um, let's go to First Corinthians fifteen twenty-one. So we've talked about a few places in, in Scripture where there's some resurrections mentioned, how the term is, is used to speak of spiritual resurrection and also physical resurrection. But really, what, what is resurrection exactly? Why, does it, why is it even necessary? That's another question I think we need to get at. I think some of you, we know, but I, want, I think we need to talk about it a little bit. So 1 Corinthians 15 um, uh, let's go to verse, let's see. Mm. I'm just going to read, starting in verse 12. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So if there is no resurrection, you and I standing here is kind of pointless. You know, that's kind of what he's, he's saying. But he says, we even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Um, <clears throat> but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. I'll read a little bit more of that in just a second, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but something to notice here is if Christ has not been raised, then the whole Christian religion is a joke. That's, that's me paraphrasing what, what Paul said here. Um, why? He says there's no real true forgiveness of sins. Um, and really, there's no hope. The, the Christian hopes for eternity. But more so, he hopes for that, that time when he sees the Savior face to face. If there is no resurrection, there's no chance of that ever happening. Um, if Christ has not been raised, then also there's no power over death. Okay, So that's really why there's no resurrection. There's no power over death there. So we do believe as Christians, as Paul is saying, that in fact Christ is has been raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits, right? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So that's saying for those of us who have, or who have, and some of us will, pass away in faith, that one day we will be raised just as Christ will, has been raised. All right. But why was it necessary? Why is resurrection even necessary? Because of sin. The next verses, um, or 21 says, for as by a man came death, by a man also, or has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All right. So we take the reason we need resurrection all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. Adam was created. Nothing wrong with Adam. Nothing wrong with Eve. But sin. All right. That, that day that they chose to, to disobey the word of God, sin entered this world, and so did death. And from that time, God, you know, God in eternity past had actually put in a plan to one day make all things right. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so, therefore, since death has now reigned, since the time of Adam, Jesus comes along, right, at, at the appointed time and basically does a reversal, all right? Um, I don't want to get too deep into this portion, but you can view Adam as part of the, the first creation, and then we also should view Jesus as the new creation, initiating, inaugurating a new creation of which we are a part of. If you are a believer, you're part of that new creation. That's why we worship on Sundays, because it was on Sunday that Jesus rose and began that new created work. That's why we celebrate. We rest on, the, on Sunday, resting in what Jesus Christ has done to, for us. Okay? Um. <clears throat> So going on from there, I was going to read Romans 5, 
which Romans 5, 12 through 21 kind of says the same things that 1 Corinthians 15 does. So I don't think I'm going to go through all that again. But I do want us to see that, you know, it, it tells us again that sin came through Adam, resulting in death. All right. And all those who follow after Adam's image, okay, so all men, follow in the same kind of death and sin that Adam initiated. Whereas, like I just said, all those who follow after the second Adam, Jesus Christ, follow after his image. We're told multiple times in Scripture, be conformed to the image of Christ, to the image of God's Son, um, not the image of Adam. We're told, now, since you're a new creation, be conformed to his image. All right. <clears throat> so what's this mean for us? What does it mean? What, what do we do with this talk of, of resurrection and, and, more importantly, what Christ has actually accomplished for us? Um, Revelation 14. Let's go back to Revelation. We started there. We'll go back. <clears throat> Revelation 14, verses 6 through 13. And let me tell you all, these passages in Revelation, they're so unique and so interesting. Um, a lot of them recapitulate. They say, like, 16 says the same things that 19 says and that 20 says. It's, it's very, very interesting. But I want to read this one. I found this one very um, helpful, helpful. So we'll read verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, Fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So why do I, why do I bring this passage up? <clears throat> Throughout the book of Revelation, there's a constant call for endurance. And we read in Revelation 20 that there's a resurrection that takes place. All right, But then we're told later in Revelation 20 that 
there's also the judgment that takes place where those who did not take the mark of the beast, those who have not followed after the God of this world, will be welcomed into eternity um, in Jesus Christ. But those who, as we said here, see here in verse 14, that have taken the mark, they have followed after the worldly powers, the, the sin in their own lives, that they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire just as Satan is being thrown into the lake of fire later in chapter 20. Um, but the call here in verse 12 is a call for endurance on the part of the saints. So that's my encouragement. You know, we, we talk about resurrection sometimes, and, and I don't know that we give it the full thought that we should, but it's a great blessing. What Jesus Christ has done for us, um, he has given us hope, and that's how we can live our lives day in and day out in hope. No matter what circumstances we go through, no matter what life throws at us, we have a hope, and it's, and it's been given to us in Jesus Christ, and we have that assurance because he has actually risen from the grave and ascended to the Father. Um, and in that way, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. That's all I got. Any questions? Any thoughts? All right. I'll take that as everything made perfect sense, and you guys are happy. So, All right. Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you what you've done for us in Jesus Christ for giving us your son to one live a life that we could not live um, and to die a death that we deserved but Lord that would not have done us any good or done anyone else any good but instead your son came willingly perfectly offered a sacrifice a pleasing, acceptable sacrifice, Lord, that we know is accepted by the fact that he rose from the, from the grave and lives forevermore interceding for us. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray that we'll leave here always remembering, always hopeful in what you do for us and have done for us. In Jesus' name.